Hello, this is Andrea Nakayama, and today, as our final episode of the podcast, I'll be mapping satiety, part two, on the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist, and this is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important, not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our clinical outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. First and foremost, if you're interested in this topic of satiety, please go back and listen to episode number 346, Mapping Satiety, Part 1. In that episode, I get into the complex details of what helps us to feel full. And yes, you heard me right. This is the final episode of the 15-Minute Matrix. Sigh. (laughs) I'm so sad to see the podcast come to an end, but it's time for me to move on to some other endeavors and to continue to create new and what I hope to be inspiring content for you. Plus, this podcast page and these episodes are not going away. We're hoping to curate episodes based on different conditions and areas of the body, like nutrition therapies, digestive health, and hormone health, among others, so that you can always come back and tune into the great content that I've had the absolute pleasure of producing for you over the past several years. And speaking of that pleasure, can I say a big thank you to each and every one of you and to the amazing team that has supported the podcast? We've loved you, our listeners. We've loved responding to your inquiries and requests and hearing your feedback. Oh my gosh, I cannot even begin to let you know how grateful I am to have spent this time with you in your podcast feed. So let's get back to satiety, a topic that appropriately tells us when enough is enough. In this final episode, I want to be sure to finish up with the physiological aspects that contribute to satiety, but I also want to divert from the usual 15-minute matrix framework and answer some of the questions I received on the topic. Honestly, the conversation about satiety or feeling full, while interesting, can get a bit nerdy and biochemical. So let's get through that part of the equation, picking up where we left off in part one. To review, satiety is the feeling of fullness after eating and is influenced by physiological, psychological, and behavioral events. In part one of our satiety dyad, I identified the five distinct but overlapping categories that impact satiety. One, sensory. Two, cognitive. Three, digestive. Four, post-ingestive. And five, 
post-absorptive. And in that initial part of our satiety conversation, again, that's episode number 346, I covered the first three categories, which are basically related to meal quality, perceptions of that meal, and expectations regarding the foods consumed, along with the digestive piece and the biological changes that occur in the stomach and intestines when we consume food or drink. These are all aspects that can impact satiety for a number of reasons, again, both physiological and psychological, and we can't separate the two. The post-ingestive and post-absorptive portions of the satiety equation refer to the physiological signals, meaning nutrient release and digestion, that occur after a meal that contribute to a person's feeling of fullness or satisfaction. Post-ingestive refers to the effects and sensations that occur after eating or drinking. Post-absorptive refers to the physiological changes that occur after a meal has been fully digested and its nutrients have been absorbed into the bloodstream. These include both the digestive and metabolic processes involved in absorbing and processing nutrients. So this includes the signals sent to the brain that can impact feelings of hunger, fullness, and satisfaction. These post-ingestive and post-absorptive states can impact whether someone feels sated or not after a meal through several mechanisms. And just listen, because you'll see how full-bodied this is, that all processes are impacted. So those processes or mechanisms include energy and nutrient delivery to the body, signals from digestive hormones and peptides like insulin, glucagon, ghrelin, leptin, and peptide YY, changes in glucose and insulin levels for a variety of reasons, fat storage and release, neural signals from the gut and peripheral tissues, and psychological and environmental factors. So all these factors combined can signal to the brain, particularly the hypothalamus, about the state of satiety and fullness, which can then impact whether we feel sated or not. So when it comes to this portion of the satiety equation, we can think again about the gut and also about the liver, the pancreas, and the entire neuroendocrine system. And I share this to say that satiety is a full-body act. We may think it's something we can easily control with one act, with willpower, with more of one nutrient or another, but a lack of satiety could occur for any number of reasons. That's why I'd rather first identify our non-negotiables rather than look for the targeted reason why. There are times when we need to know why, And there are times when we need to nourish the soil, so to speak, and see what might be resolved when we do. Again, as in the first part of the conversation, I'm going to bring us back to the opportunity to optimize digestion. I like to refer to digestion as where food meets physiology. It's the symbiosis or intersection where the outside world, through our food, meets the inside world, our cells. 
then if thinking about our food, in addition to making it satisfying to the taste buds, a non-negotiable, by the way, we want to think about the inclusion of good fats like avocado, nuts and seeds, olives and olive oil, as well as the fats in non-industrial farmed meats as are tolerated by the individual. We want to think about our fibers from vegetables, seeds, grains, beans, again, all as tolerated. And we want to consider our proteins. You choose the source. So the fat fiber protein trifecta will help with the symptom of satiety or lack of satiety. Tracking is another great tool to help each individual determine what's actually happening and why and at what moments. It may be that one meal works and another doesn't to get that feeling of satiety. So when we can do some food, mood, poop tracking with mood in quotation marks being any sensation, and we focus on feelings of hunger and fullness, we may, with the careful eye of a guide, like a functional nutrition counselor, start to be able to make some associations between that outside world and the inside world, what we eat and how we feel. I'll come back to these takeaways before ending this episode, but let's look at some of the questions that I received regarding satiety. So I was asked, what's the biggest factor that causes people not to feel hunger and how do you heal that? Well, not feeling hunger and not feeling satiety can be two sides of the same coin. And it's always difficult to identify just one reason. It could be one of these reasons that we've been identifying or several of them, depending on the individual. There are some medical conditions that might impact someone's ability to feel hunger, and they include hypothyroidism, type 1 diabetes, and anorexia nervosa. Additionally, use of certain medications, such as those for depression or anxiety, can affect hunger levels. Chronic stress can also alter hunger hormones, leading to reduced appetite. Even heartbreak can impact hunger. So healing from not feeling hunger is going to require some extra inquiry and assessment so that the recommendations are targeted to meet the individual's unique needs. We need to look at that and then look at it in the context of all other signs, symptoms, diagnoses, and history. When did this begin? When does it happen? Let's track and learn more. Another question I received was, what is the connection between satiety and chronic illness? And oh my gosh, this can be so vast. When it comes to chronic illness, I always like to look through a three roots, many branches lens. The three roots are the genes or the genetic predisposition, digestion, and inflammation. The branches are many. They are any sign, symptom, or diagnosis experienced from migraines to lupus to cancer to skin outbreaks to lack of hunger or satiety and more. So if the branches are the signs, symptoms, and diagnoses, and the roots are the genes, digestion, and inflammation, what do we do about it? 
Well, as full body systems students and grads know, we work on the soil in which those roots live. And those roots and their soil take us back to all the areas we explored that were related to satiety, any of which could be off balance for an individual. So if you take the three roots approach, you will address all aspects of the environment or terrain in which the branches are expressing themselves. Does that make sense? Envision a tree, think about the roots, think about the branches. Any sign, symptom, or diagnosis is a branch. The roots are the genes, digestion, and inflammation. And those roots exist in soil. We can get back to that fat fiber protein. We can get back to optimizing digestion. And that all becomes part of the soil that we consider to address the expression of those branches. Another question, speaking of digestion, that I received was, what role does the microbiome play in satiety? Well, the microbiome, or the collection of gut bacteria, plays a role in satiety by influencing the release of hormones that regulate hunger and fullness, such as ghrelin and peptide YY. I spoke about this a bit more in part one of our satiety series. The microbiome also affects the gut-brain communication, digestion and absorption of nutrients, and the production of short-chain fatty acids, all of which can impact satiety. It's also been suggested that an imbalance in the ratio of formicutes to bacteroides in the gut microbiome, these are two different groups of bacteria in the human microbiome, may contribute to differences in body fat levels. Some studies have suggested that certain strains of formicutes may play a role in regulating satiety hormones and gut peptides, potentially affecting feelings of fullness and hunger. I don't anchor very much on on this ratio in clinic and just choose to work more generally on feeding the microbiome with probiotic and prebiotic-rich foods, fibers, of course, short-chain fatty acids, resistant starches, and polyphenols. Another great question, how does gut motility relate to or impact satiety? So this relates to other questions I received about thyroid health and satiety as well. Motility, or the movement of food through the digestive system, can impact a person's sense of satiety by affecting how quickly they feel full after a meal. Faster gut motility may lead to a quicker onset of satiety signals, makes sense, while slower motility may result in a slower onset and a longer-lasting feeling of fullness. Also, changes in gut motility can impact the release of hormones that regulate appetite, such as ghrelin and leptin, and influence the way the brain perceives satiety signals. When we talk about motility, the rate at which things move through the GI, this can be impacted by irritable bowel syndrome or IBS, inflammatory bowel diseases, IBD like Crohn's or colitis, gastroparesis, and other functional gastrointestinal disorders like SIBO. These conditions can all slow down or speed up the passage of food through the gut altering normal digestive motility and potentially impacting satiety as a downstream symptom. 
Plus, yes, thyroid hormones do play an important role in regulating metabolism, including gastrointestinal motility. And hypothyroidism or underactive thyroid can cause slow gastrointestinal motility, leading to constipation, bloating, and a decreased sense of satiety. Whereas hyperthyroidism or an overactive thyroid can cause increased gastrointestinal motility, leading to diarrhea and decreased satiety. But let's just ground once again on the reality that satiety is a symptom. It's not a diagnosis. It's something we need to communicate to our healthcare providers among our other symptoms so that we can track it and we can see what makes a difference. There are going to be a number of underlying conditions that can impact satiety, which I hope this two-part podcast on the topic makes clear. So while there's lots of physiological underpinnings, we can see satiety arising as a symptom or a branch for those who have gastrointestinal disorders like IBS or Crohn's disease, psychological disorders like depression or anxiety, and also going to be impacted on whether or not somebody's on medication, hormonal imbalances like diabetes or leptin resistance, neurological conditions like Parkinson's disease, and again, medications like chemotherapy agents and opioids are going to impact satiety. Oh, and let's not forget surgery. Certainly bariatric surgery is going to impact satiety. So we don't want to address the satiety. We want to make sure that we're looking at satiety as a branch or a symptom and looking at the full body systems. Who is this? What's their history to understand where satiety fits in the equation and what makes a difference? Okay, I have two more questions to round things out. One was, how does cannabis affect satiety? Well, I have to admit that I'm not a cannabis expert, but I do have several great podcasts on the topic with people who are. There is a great episode, it's actually one of my favorites, on the endocannabinoid system, which explains a lot about this physiological system in the body. So the research around cannabis and satiety is still inconclusive, but it's thought that cannabis can impact satiety in several ways. It's been shown to increase appetite, we know this as the munchies, and can also interfere with the hormones that regulate hunger and fullness. And related to the previous question about motility, cannabis can have an effect on the digestive system and gut hormones, which can lead to changes in motility and further impact satiety. Ultimately, there is no conclusive evidence as of yet, and I'm going to venture to say that it's likely more about the individual and what else is happening in their body system than it is about the cannabis alone. How does cannabis impact you if it does? Okay, our final question. It's a big one. How is the food industry related to satiety? Oh my gosh, the food industry. This term, to be clear, generally refers to the production, processing, packaging, distribution, and sale of food products for consumption. And it includes a wide range of businesses from the large multinational corporations to small family-owned farms and everything in between. 
The food industry is related to satiety and that it aims to develop and sell products that promote feelings of fullness and satisfaction. And the industry may add fiber and protein to foods. They may reformulate recipes and also use visual cues like portion sizes to influence our perceptions of satiety. And yet... As we likely know, the industry may also contribute to the problem of satiety or lack thereof by promoting the consumption of highly processed foods and sugary drinks, which are directly linked to decreased feelings of fullness and can also kind of warp our feelings of uh, fulfillment when we eat foods that aren't Frankensteined to taste differently and have us perceiving our foods differently. So once again, I have to say satiety is a symptom or a branch, as we like to call it at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Processed foods are a contributor, a possible contaminant in the terrain, in the soil. My biggest takeaway from my deep dive into satiety, and if you made it here with me, thank you, is that it's multifactorial. It's not just one thing. We can't try to fix satiety without looking deeper at the roots and, most importantly, at the soil those roots live in. We need to look at everything and get more targeted as we need to because sometimes we may solve the problems by looking at the soil. We then heal so much else in the process. So this brings me back to what I hope we all know with 375 15-Minute Matrix podcasts. Everything is connected. We are all unique and all things matter. Thank you again for accompanying me on this podcast journey. I hope it's the first of many podcasting adventures together. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks go out to Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, Sandra Brower, Evan Hollingsworth, Heidi Kaufman-Lakowitz, and Rowan Bradley for their support making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our Full Body Systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your client's issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. 
Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.